we're continuing in the I am statements of Jesus. And, you know, there's so much about the Word of God that is absolutely necessary to know. And one of the most necessary, I think, issue to know is this. Who is this man called Jesus? There may be a more important question. I'm not sure. But if we don't know who he is, then we don't know his purpose. If we don't know who he is, we can't be saved. Everybody with me? The knowledge of who this man is, is the way we know God. Because the most important question in all of our lives is, do we know, personally know, have a personal relationship with this God of creation, correct? And the only way to know who God is in a relational, fellowshipping, family way is to know Jesus. And so there's a lot to study about who Jesus is. But I think possibly the most significant way to know who this man is is to study what he says about himself, okay? And what does he say about himself? He says what? I am. And remember, we've talked about that. Now, what we're going to do in it couple of weeks from now is to summarize and bring everything into focus concerning these I am statements. But today we're continuing in the last of the I am statements where he says I am and then there's a predicate or something that follows. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. You remember? And so today we're continuing with I am what? The vine and you are the branches, and we've go been going through this, so I won't reteach all that. And today we come to the quintessential significance of this statement I am the vine, and you are the branches. Everyone who abides in me, remember, and I abide in them. So he's talking about being in him. In the life of the branch, of vine, we are connected to him. When were we connected? When were we in Christ? When? When did we come to be in Christ? What is the, yes, what is the background? What is the beginning point of our salvation? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. God chose us in Christ. Remember that? When? Before the foundation of the world. And then you remember the rest of it talks about how God caused that eternal reality to become our reality. 
So now that we're in Christ, why have we been placed into Christ? Why have you been saved? Because everything about our salvation and everything about the purpose of God in creating us, in creating all the worlds, beginning in Genesis 1-1, comes down to this issue. It comes down to this issue. Why were we saved? So that God, make sure you get this. Why were you saved? So that God, God saved us for the purpose of displaying his own glory. The magnificence of who he is in himself and how he is. That is his nature and his character. Because once his nature and his character are being displayed, visibly seen in the creation, that is a display of his glory, correct? His glory is who he is in himself and how he is, how the who he is is manifested through the how he is. Does that make sense to you? So you know someone, you know Joe Blow. And how really do you know Joe Blow? By being with Joe Blow and watching and listening to the things that Joe does and where he goes and how he responds. That's how you know someone. So how does God display the glory of who he is, how does he display it? He creates a people in whom and through whom who he is and how he is, his own glory, is manifested visibly. And that manifestation of God's very person the manifestation of God's person is called the fruit. That's the fruit. God has put us in Christ before the foundation of the world and has sent his son into the world in the incarnation as the man Jesus. And Jesus went to the cross in order to pay the full price for all of the sin of those who were in him. So that God would forgive the, us, having he having paid the price. So that now we can become the children of God. Why? So that as children, we will now display our parent. How many of you are parents or grandparents? And one of the difficulties is that when your son or your daughter or your children really are doing bad things, so often, what do we think? How does that reflect on the mama, on the daddy? Correct? 
were the same thing with God. So the essence of the significance of the fruit is that this is the way that God fulfills his Genesis 1.26 purpose. You remember Genesis 1.26? The Lord has created the heavens and the earth and everything on the earth except for one more thing. At the end of the fifth day, remember, it's finished. Now we're in the sixth day and we're going to do some stuff. And at the end of that day or during that day, what happens? Let us make man in our image after our likeness. That means let us make people, those people whom God has foreknown before the foundation of the world. And in them and through them, the rest of the creation will see who this God is. Amen? That's our purpose in the world. So we've come to the fruit. So let me read these verses from John 15. They may be in your notes. I'm not sure. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear, what? More fruit. You see the purpose of Jesus. Fruit, 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 fruit. A farmer does the planting for what purpose? A crop, a crop, a crop. That's all he has intended. I'm out here for one purpose. I want a crop. I want fruit. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he is the one who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now look at verse 8. 8 is probably of all of the statements here, the one I want to emphasize the most. My father is glorified this way. How? You must remember verse 8 of chapter 15. My father in this, this is the way I learned it. In this way is my father glorified. How? How? That you bear much fruit and so prove, demonstrate that you're my disciples. So what's the proof that we're saved? Well, the proof is that I asked Jesus to come into my life. Nope. The proof is I went to an altar and I felt the Holy Spirit. Nope, that's not the proof. All of those may be true. The proof is I was baptized. Nope, that's not the proof, is it? There's one proof, one proof that we're children of God. Is the life of Jesus himself being in some way consistently being manifested in us. Now, I didn't say perfectly. Can I look at myself? Can someone else look at me and say that there is enough evidence in me, in you, to demonstrate that Jesus actually himself, by the Holy Spirit, lives in me? That's the fruit. Correct? So let's go ahead. This is the way, as I said, Genesis 126 is manifested. Now, when we say Genesis 126, remember what it says. Let us make man in our image. Now, I like the word image. Uh, some of the modern translations 
use the word descendants. That's okay, but what I believe it does is it takes the original purpose statement of God himself in Genesis 1.26, where God himself uses image, and then it retranslates it into descendant. Well, okay, you're right. It's a descendant. It's those who come from the loins of Adam and the loins of so-and-so. We come as a product of God's creative ability. But I like the way King James does it because it follows the same word image throughout the entire Bible. So you can begin to see this. But in some instances, we also see it in the other translations. So the image. When God says, let us make man in our image, here is the essential question for that statement. Who is the image that God is talking about in Genesis 1.26. Who is essentially the image whom God is talking about in Genesis 1.26? What is Colossians 1.15? Do I have it in your note? Yeah. Colossians 1.15. Jesus or Christ is what? The image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. Remember in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. So they may not see what? The light of the gospel. Okay. What is the gospel? Here's the definition of the gospel. This is the Bible's definition of the gospel. What is the gospel? They may not see the light of the gospel. Here's a prepositional phrase. Of the glory of God. Remember we talked about the glory of God? Where? That they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of God. How does it continue? Anybody help me on that? What? Is it in your notes? They may not see that they may see the light of the gospel of the glory of God. I'm sorry, the glory of Christ. I'm sorry, I misquoted. The glory of Christ, who is the image of God. There's the gospel. The gospel is the revelation of the glory of Christ in us. And that's where the glory of God is. So, what Jesus is talking about here now is fruit. That the fruit of our lives is going to be the revelation of Jesus himself in us. So that means this, that when Jesus talked in verse 8, and this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. This means that fruit in that verse is Jesus himself is going to be the very fruit of the way we live. Do we see that? We have to be careful. Yes, the fruit of our lives is the way we live. But the way we live is a manifestation that it is Christ in us living his life, manifesting his life in us by the Holy Spirit. So what I'm getting after is this. 
that we're careful not to think about the essence of the fruit. That's something we must do or a way we must be. The fruit is the work of God reproducing the very life and manifestation of his image who is Christ in us and through us by the Holy Spirit. And so in 1 John 3, 7, I think I have this in your note. We said, we see that Jesus is the righteousness of God. So this fruit is called the fruit of righteousness in two or three passages, which I think I have in your notes. Therefore, you see, what we can say is this. My father is glorified by this, that you bear the fruit of my own life. That's Jesus speaking. The fruit of my own life. And in this way, God is glorified. So God has made this possible how? How do we bear the fruit of God's, Jesus' own life? How do we do that? Remember, the Holy Spirit produces it in us. How many of you were intimidated when you hear, wait a minute, I'm supposed to bear the fruit of Jesus' own life? How many of us are trying to be obedient? How many of us are trying to be obedient? Okay. Everyone who's trying to be obedient will fail. No, no, no. Let me put it this way. Think about your kids. And they have the broccoli on the plate. You like broccoli? You're strange. How many, who doesn't like broccoli? Asparagus. Good. I like you. So, Moose doesn't like asparagus. So, he's at his grandma's house. And Moose is pushing the asparagus around on the plate. Are you with me on this? Have you not seen that before? Kind of like that. And if, maybe if I can push it to the side, Mama won't see it. Do you ever do that? You never try to move your food around so Mama doesn't see it? Hmm. So... That's, that's Nathan Lemoyne, everybody. That's, you know, that's who that is. So you're trying to push it around. And Joseph, when you do that, your mama says, eat your asparagus, right? Wouldn't you say that? What is your reply? Hmm. <laughs> Be careful. Your mama has a wicked right. What are you going to say? I am what? Say it again. I didn't hear you. I'm trying to eat it. How many of you know that? Come on, come on. Come with me on this. Are you with me on this? I'm trying to eat it, Joe. I'm trying to do it. Now, what's wrong with that? What does your mama know? Flo, what do you know? When Moose says I'm trying, what does that mean? Come on, tell me what it means. He ain't going to eat it, honey child. <laughs> Debbie, he's not going to eat it. Why? Because it's not a matter of trying. It's a matter of doing. And so as we try to obey Jesus, we're going to fail to obey Jesus. 
And so we need to get in our minds a different thought. We need to come to the conclusion that God has not birthed us into his kingdom and has not given us the Holy Spirit of power and has caused his own image that is displayed in Jesus to say to us, won't you try, Shane? Just try. You know, one of the pet peeves I have, and, and preachers do this all the time, they'll say this, the word of God is trying to say this to us. <laughs> you can just see God. I'm trying to say it to you right way so you'll get it. Won't you help me? God's not the one who's trying. We're the one who are trying. God never tries anything. God does. The Holy Spirit in us never tries anything. He does. So we are not called to try. We are called to obey, to cooperate, to say yes. When he says you're wrong, you say, yes, I am. When he says you need to repent, you say, empower me to repent. When he says, sit down, you sit down. When he says, stand up, you stand up. So what God is doing in us, he's given us the spirit of power. Each one of us who has the Holy Spirit, can we say, by the power of the spirit, through my faithful cooperation, an agreement with the Holy Spirit, I can be a man or a woman in whose life the fruit of Jesus himself is being manifested. Can we say that? Can we say that? How many of you are righteous? Three of you? Diane, why did you raise your hand? I, I can't hear you. Are you righteous? No, I didn't say, are you righteous? Debbie, why are you righteous? We have been made to become the righteousness of God in Christ. Where is that in the Bible? 2 Corinthians 5.21. So how many of us would say we're saved? Roland, you're kind of slow there. Okay. Is, are you saved, brother? Okay, sure. Now, if you're saved, do you have the very life of Jesus who is the righteous son of God living in you? Do you have that? Do you have the righteousness of God in you? Has God clothed you with the righteousness of his son? Has he called us his righteous children? Has he or not? Yes. So how many of us are righteous? So what's wrong with our hands? Why are we hesitant? Come on, someone tell me the truth. Why are you hesitant in raising your hand? Come on. Because 
Our eyes are too much focused on my own failure and sin and not clearly focused enough on the righteousness of God in me in Christ. Is that correct, Gordon? So when I think about myself, the first thing I think about is how much I've done wrong. Now, again, how many of you have children or grandchildren? Come on, Linda, you, you need to raise your hand high. I know your grandkids. Now, how many of us would want our grandchildren or our children, their first thought, their first preoccupation to be on their failures? Now, come on. Boy, you did that wrong. Always remember, you did it wrong. Unfortunately, there are parents like that. Renee, you have children? You have grandkids? I didn't hear you. Come on, you can do louder than that. Yes. Do you want your lovelies to be more preoccupied with their wrong? No. Why? You want them to know the truth, don't you? Now, if we're not satisfied to have our own children to be primarily or at least initially preoccupied with their wrongness, do we get that? Is everybody with me on this? Darlene, do you have any children? Do you have any grandchildren? Is that what you want? You want Shell to say more about how wrong she is? No, you don't want that. If this is the way we are, why do we believe God is different? Does the Lord want us to be ignorant of our sin? No. Does the Lord want us to deny our sin? No. But where does our Heavenly Father want us to place our sin? In the first place or within the context of him who is righteous in us having forgiven us? Phyllis, where should your sin be placed? In the righteousness of God. So first of all, your sin being forgiven is covered over by the righteousness of Christ, right? And once you know that, now you are freed to be able to agree with God and to confess your sin and ask him to give you or grant you the gift of repentance. Second Timothy 2.25. Why am I talking about this? Because, you see, this is the way that God produces in us the fruit of his own righteousness. What's often in our way is that when we are convicted by the Holy Spirit that you did something wrong. Lauren, you were wrong. You, first of all, too often deny it. Hmm? Anybody in here like that? You deny it, right, Pam? You let someone in your family tell you that you're wrong about something. <laughs> you made a wrong call at the game last night. Oh, well, now that you say it that way. And our first reaction is to deny it, to resist it. 
But another reaction in us is this. Guilt. How many of you feel guilty when you do wrong? All right. Now, should you feel guilty? Well, first of all, it depends on what the word guilty means. You see, I shouldn't say, brother, you shouldn't feel guilty. Jack, I have to explain to you what the Bible means by guilt. So what does the Bible mean by guilt? That you are not only wrong. Now, listen to me carefully. You're not only wrong, but you are bearing the consequence of your sin yourself, and you will have to pay yourself the price for your sin. That's guilty. May I say it again? Guilt means this, that you're wrong, Joe. Steve, you're wrong. Cody, you're wrong. Oh, we, we, we have that. We understand that. But if I'm saying I'm guilty, that means that I have to bear in myself, on my own, the punishment of God against me because of my sin. Do you understand this? Guilty. Now, given that understanding, how many of us are guilty? Romans 8, 1. Can someone quote Romans 8, 1 for me? I can't hear you, brother. Say it loud. There is now. When? 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 Now. Not in heaven. When? It starts now. There is therefore now. No condemnation. Guilt. For those who are what? In Christ. Now, either God is right or he's a liar, Karen. One or the other. You either is guilty or you ain't guilty. One or the other. You see that? Am I saying you're free of sin? No. Am I saying you haven't been doing things wrong? Did I ever say that, Major? No. So, one of the big problems of us dealing with our sin is guilt. The first thing that comes to your mind when you do something wrong, Satan wants to condemn you. Am I right on that? The first thing. I learned, and I have to say it that way. I learned. The Lord showed me. I was out not one night praying and bemoaning how much I let God down. And now I don't want to do this. And I don't want to do that. Amen. And it's like heaven said, shut up. Well, what do you mean? I'm supposed to be. No. No. If you want to be a person who is open to the convicting work of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of reconciliation, regeneration, maturity, sanctification, etc., etc. If you want to be that person, and you should be because you're in Christ, you're saved. Then the first thing you think of is Jesus paid it all all to him i owe sin had left a crimson stain but what but he what washed it white as snow the moment you think of guilt remember 
Colossians 2.13. Write it down. If you don't know it, you look it up. And there's a little word in Colossians 2.13, the word all. Having forgiven us all. Having is past tense. Are you guilty? No. Well, but when I sin, I feel shame. You feel shame, right? It's right to feel shame. You shouldn't have done it. I shouldn't be thinking this way, going there, looking at that, whatever. But then in that shame, the Holy Spirit draws me to himself to say, Son, the Father loves you. You've been forgiven of this sin. So now you're free of guilt and any worry about condemnation or judgment or punishment. Now freely say, Father, you're right. I was wrong. Holy Spirit, give me the ability to repent. Amen. And you will begin to feel in you a change. And when you begin to feel the presence and work of the Holy Spirit in you, cooperate. Cooperate. Yield to. Embrace. Walk with. That's the fruit that God is looking for which allows now the Holy Spirit to be reproducing the very love of God in me. And so, what is the fruit that Jesus is looking for? Galatians 5, 22 and 23, called the fruit of what? The Spirit. What is the fruit that God is looking for in me? The fruit of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's looking for the fruit of Jesus' character in me. Are you getting this? He's looking for the fruit of Jesus' character in me, which is displayed in those nine words in Galatians 22 to 23. There's more to it, but that's a wonderful group of words. He's looking for the fruit of Jesus' character, and he's also looking for the fruit of Jesus' ministry in me and in you. That's how I know I'm a believer. That's how God is glorified. So now, next week, I want us to think about this. When we said God is glorified in the fruit of our lives, specifically, specifically, what is it about God that he is looking to display as the fruit that glorifies him. What specifically is it that he is seeking and he is displaying in us as the fruit? Do we understand the question? What specifically? Not just, well, you know, our obedience. That is not a specific thing. So let's ask the Lord this week. Think about it. Pray about it. And we'll come back next week and hopefully... We'll all be back together next week. Thank you for being here.